Welcome everyone to the Islanders Never Say Die podcast. I'm your host TJ and with me again as always is our NHL analyst and expert, the grumpy old man. They say there's no shame in his game because he's always the same. That's me. Now, grumpy old man, we are recording this podcast on Saturday evening. Again, you know, on our Monday release, we obviously are talking a little bit more about uh, NHL news. You know, they are going to have a season this year. It's going to be 52 to 56 games, um, and it's going to start up there on January 13th. But until actual training camp starts, we are going to be using these third day podcast segments as more of a historical piece. Last Thursday, our, you know, our podcast was centered around talking about the greatest Islander gems. And we, you know, we highlighted the greatest gems in the sixth, the seventh, and later rounds. And now on today's podcast, we're going to be talking about the greatest Islanders gems in the fourth and fifth rounds, Grumpy Old Man. And you know, this is your gig, this is your segment. So again, I'm going to let you take it away, Grumpy Old Man. Yeah, uh, it, it's funny. I mean, I love going back and look at this. As anyone who listens to this podcast knows, I, I'm a draft nut, uh, draft nick, whatever you want to call them, a geek, whatever, a draft geek, whatever. And I just, it's so many interesting the things that you learn when you're going through these drafts. Like, uh, as you're going to, as you're going to hear on this podcast, we are doing the fourth and fifth rounds today. Uh, I'm going to tell you what, the fifth round, the Islanders might as well never even draft in the fifth round. And as great a GM as Bill Torrey was, uh, we really he didn't draft anyone who was worth anything in the fifth round, which I found very interesting. Well, we found we found a few players as of recent that have been you know producers in the fifth round, but it's not like we found a Pavel Datsuk or anything like that in the fifth round, grumpy old man to speak to it, right? Or a Henrik Zetterberg in the later rounds. So certainly, we I think recently we found some some producers and some you know. Uh, Everyday NHLers in the fifth round, but it's not like we're you know we're pulling out any Hall of Famers in the fifth round or anything. Again, those are always few and far between. But yeah, grumpy. Yeah, like I said, in the fifth round, and we've been drafting almost fifty years. I came up with three names, three names who I would consider NHL caliber players. Three, so that's that's not good. I'm just saying that's not good. Historically, yes, Grumpy. It's definitely not good. And, yeah. and especially if you look at that as of recent, right? You have, I think, two of those names are players that were drafted within the last 10 years. So, I mean, like for a time period of close to 40 years, we'd only had one player that was really worth mentioning that we had drafted in the fifth round. Very so, yeah, Grumpy, I did, I did find that also odd. Very true. And like I said, usually I give some honorable mentions. We're going to jump right into the fifth round here. And, you know, sometimes I have some honorable mentions for the fifth round. I had no honorable mentions, honestly. Uh, and so I'm just going to jump in right at number three. And you're going to realize the, how poorly we've drafted in the, third, in, the third, in the fifth round when my number three person is Sebastian Ajo. Yes, Sebastian Ajo, as in he was selected in 2017 by the Islanders just recently. The Sebastian Ajo that's only played 22 games so far in the NHL, who I think still does have a career, you know, with the Islanders. And, you know, I think definitely next season, if not this year, definitely next year, he will be uh, an everyday performer out there for the Islanders organization or some other team because I know his contract does become one way after, you know, the 2020-2020 or the, I guess the 2021 season. But I know for 2020. 2021, 2022, he is a guy who's going to be a one-way player. So he'll play for the Islanders. But yet, hasn't really produced a lot yet. But, you know, definitely has a chance to make an impact for the Islanders here in the future, Grumpy. Right. And I certainly, I would love to see him be the seventh defenseman this year uh, with a chance uh, of playing a lot more than he has. I mean, you know, when he played in 2018, I thought he showed pretty well for a guy who was 22 years old. Uh, 
so I was a little disappointed that he really hasn't played up with the big team in the last two years. But as you know, we're a, a team that really likes to play veterans at this point in time. So I think he suffered in that aspect. But he's a good puck moving defenseman, uh, not a big body, uh, but I, I, I like him. I will say this, Grumpy. I think maybe your recollection might be a little hazy on Sebastian Ajo. I thought he did a valiant effort for you know a guy who was he was drafted. He was an overage player when he was drafted, Grumpy, if you remember. But that being said, I think he did do a valiant effort. I mean, he, he it was almost a baptism by fire. And remember, he was playing for Doug Waite during that time period as well. So I mean, the defense was in all sort of shambles to begin with. So I. I'll be interested to see, you know, what he can contribute. I'm ready for him to get a chance to where he's in a more consistent role for the Islanders. But, you know, I definitely think he has a chance for certain to be a guy who is a gem that we found in the fifth round. Yeah. I mean, I like I said, the one thing you can say about the Islanders, particularly the current team, is we are well stocked on the defensive side. I think that kind of hurts um, Sebastian as well. Uh, but like I said, I, I do feel that he'll be up with the big team this year. He's been a star in uh, the AHL, playing for Bridgeport the last couple of years, and I just hope he gets a legitimate shot to, uh, you know, contribute on the in the NHL this year. And, and when you're looking at these players who are draft gems, Grumpy, I think you know we mentioned this on the last Thursday podcast. It's important just to mention again when you're drafting the later rounds, like the sixth, seventh, um, and then even the fourth and the fifth, finding and identifying players that play multiple years. Uh, for an NHL roster, those are players who definitely are gems and they work out. Majority of players in the NHL are ex first round and you know second and possibly even third round picks. If you identify a guy in the fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh round that is able to you know string out a, a, a long career in the NHL, that is an absolute gem in my opinion, grumpy old man. And again, some players produce more than others, but still identifying a player who is going to be you know an NHL player for you know multiple years to come is definitely finding a, a gem in those later rounds, Grump. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why, you know, the job that Bill Torrey did in the early years of finding guys who, and from the seventh round and beyond, who were on the Stanley Cup championship teams just shows what a great GM and identifier of talent that he really was. But uh, the fifth round was, uh, that was a black hole for him. <laughs> that's, I, have to, I have to say that. Um, and he might as well just have traded all those fifth round picks, right, Grump? Pretty much do something, move up, whatever you got to do, you got to do. Uh, but like I said, when Sebastian Ajo is your number three and he's only played 22 NHL games, that tells you really all you need to know about how well you draft in the fifth round. Well, Grump, who is your number two selection there for you know the, the greatest draft gem the Islanders have found in the second round? Or the, uh, I'm sorry, in the fifth round. Number two in the fifth round was someone who was uh, – there during the dark Mike Milbury era uh, and wound up turning out to be a really good goalie, uh, Tommy Salo. Uh, he came over, he was drafted from Sweden. And uh, I remember he made his Islander debut in 1995, I believe it was. Uh, and he played for the Islanders for uh, four years. And But the biggest thing that I remember about uh, Tommy Salo, and he put up good numbers, by the way, for the Islanders. I, wa I want to interject really quickly, Grumpy. He put up really good numbers, especially for the time period. That's why I'm shocked you put him at number two. But I think I know the reason why. But I'll let you continue. Yeah. Uh, but the, the biggest thing I remember about Tommy Salo was that Mike Milbury made him cry during an arbitration hear hearing. 
uh, you have there were some contract squabbles, and as a lot of people probably know, these arbitration hearings can get kind of nasty. Where you know you're saying a player when you're trying to sign him, you're saying good things about him, uh, but when you go to arbitration, all you do is bring out his warts. And I remember he cried during an arbitration hearing. And, you know, I don't think that's the way to – making your players cry, making them feel – I don't think that's the way to go. Um, and he was gone from the Islanders not soon after that, honestly. Again, yeah, Grumpy, I was about to say. Now, he posted really good numbers. I remember Tommy Salo as well, a, a really good goaltender, you know, a, a guy who was consistent starter in the NHL, even for Edmonton and even for the Islanders, Grumpy old man. So Tommy Salo definitely was a gem that was identified there in the fifth round. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he went up – he uh, had some real good success when he went to Edmonton. I mean, he was like in the Vesna hunt like three years in a row. He came in sixth, seventh, and ninth in the voting and he even had all-star consideration and heart consideration in 2000-2001. I mean, he was really, really solid as a goalie and, you know, it was just another Millbury failure, honestly, uh, for a career – I mean, he had a goals against a 2.55. I mean, that's not bad. I, you know, I, I, I like Tommy Salo. I thought he was a good goalie, and I just thought Milbury really screwed that one up. Well, I, and now I'm going to get to my next question, Grumpy. I feel like you put him at number two only because the reason why is, you know, the number one on your list, I'm sure, is Matt Martin. And I wonder if that's just because he still plays for the Islanders or, he, you know, he, he played more for the Islanders than Tommy Salo. I think when you look at the actual stats, Grumpy, I think you would agree that probably Tommy Salo has made a bigger impact than Matt Martin. Or maybe you don't. No, I do. But as – and you're right, I should have qualified at the beginning just like I did last week. Uh if a guy has played mostly for the Islanders, that counts a little bit more. Um, and you're going to see a player that we talk about in the fourth round who barely spent any time with the Islanders. It was an Islander draft pick. Uh, he's going to be in, in uh, my uh, honorable mention. And, you know, that's what happens. If you had most of your success somewhere else, you're not going to be rated as highly as if you played well, mostly for the Islanders. Well, it impacts a little bit of, you know, your Islanders legacy per se, grumpy old man, right? Well, if we're looking down at the brass tacks, you know, definitely Tommy Sallow, I think has had a little bit more of a successful career than Matt Martin. But again, Matt Martin is a fan favorite. They, you know, definitely a draft gem for certain grumpy old man, right? Was a member of the greatest fourth line in hockey for a long time. And you can even say that he's still, you know, last year, even that was probably still the greatest, you know, the best fourth line in hockey too. So, you know, again, you know, Matt Martin was an extremely successful draft pick, especially for a fifth round pick grumpy. Yeah. And he was number one for me was Matt Martin. Did he put up the numbers of a Tommy Sallow? No. Uh, but he's been a loyal Islander for many, many years. And uh, he's, I want to say he's, well, no, I'm not going to say that. I was going to say he's the Bobby Nystrom of his time, but Nystrom is a way better player than him. He put up better numbers. Uh, but the same type of player, you know, uh, sacrificing the body, a good body checker. And, uh, you know, Matt Martin is beloved by Islander fans worldwide without a doubt. And, and when I'm thinking about Matt Martin, grumpy old man, I'm thinking about a warrior. I, You know, the same exact things you could say about a guy like Johnny Boychuk, I will say even more a little bit for Matt Martin, a guy who, again, you know, sells out for every single shift, an unbelievable teammate, an unbelievable fan favorite. And again, his impact is much more than just a stat sheet. So that's also something to take in consideration with Matt Martin, uh, grumpy old man. Is there anything else you want to say before you kind of moved here to the fourth round? No. And like I said, when, you know, 
your uh, the most points you scored in a year is 19, and you're like the best island draft pick in a certain round, it just tells you that okay, that's not a good round for us. Well, hold on. Well, again, if we're looking at it, Grumpy, the best fifth round pick we've had production wise, Tommy Sallow, not even close. Um, and, and actually, he pro- he produced more as an Islander goalie. Also, his numbers are really good with the Islanders for the four years that he played there as well. I was about to say, Tommy Sallow, he's one of those guys who was again, he was he's one of those players that was always on the brink. Maybe he'll be an All Star this year, especially with Edmonton. I mean, the numbers he was posting were good. And the thing is, a guy like that, Tommy Sallow, you know, he's he's mostly forgotten, but he had strung together a very very successful NHL career. If we're talking about just based off of merits, I think he he was probably the most successful pick we had in the fifth round, even though it wasn't all with the Islanders. Uh, but again, if we're talking about the legacy, though, probably Matt Martin edges him out just because of what he brings off the ice and you know the impact he's had over the Islanders over that extended time period. Absolutely, and like I said, uh, no, pro- you're right. Salo put up better numbers and was a better overall player. But you don't look at t- when you think of an Islander, you're going to think Matt Martin over Tommy Salo. Yeah, most certainly. And again, I think it's also. I know you kind of touched on a little earlier. Um, the ranking is more, you know, if they do. I know you mentioned a little earlier, though, Grumpy. The the rankings are also in, are impacted on how long you actually played for the Islanders. So for a guy that didn't play for the Islanders all that long, I'm sure you know they'll be a little lower, even though just based off of merits, they might be a more impressive, you know, selection in that particular round. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Well, Grumpy, what does your fourth round look like? Okay, fourth round. First of all, going to have some honorable mentions here, and uh, you know there was some. I'm not going to say Hall of Fame players because I don't think they were Hall of Fame players, but there are some real solid contributors uh, who were drafted in the fourth round. And I'm going to do some honorable mentions first. And the first honorable mention I'm going to do is a guy who was drafted for the Islanders. And even though uh, he played for the Islanders only one year, it wasn't the first team he played for. Uh, One year he got Norris Trophy consideration in 2000-2001 as a member of the Dallas Stars. I'm talking about Brad Lukowicz. And he was a solid defenseman, uh, not somebody who was going to put up a boatload of points, but knew how to play the defensive game. Wanted playing 13 years in the league. Uh, and I always remember him from being a member of the Dallas Stars. Uh, that's where he had most of his success. And I believe he played his uh, first six years there. Uh, then he played a couple of years for Tampa had a couple of years in Jersey, and then had one year since one with the Islanders, San Jose, and Vancouver. So we bounced around a little bit. But uh, for a guy in the fourth round, I think that uh, he produced really well. And, you know, he was six foot one, 200 pounds, uh, like I said, and he played defense. That, that was his main forte, and uh, he did win the Stanley Cup a couple of times. So, you know, anytime you can do that, you have to consider yourself having a successful career. Oh, well, most certainly, Grump. Anytime you're able to go ahead and, and win a Stanley Cup as a, <laughs> and be a player who's in the actual lineup, you, you've had a successful career again, especially for a player who's drafted there in the fourth round. And, you know, when you start to get to those higher rounds, that's when you could be a little more selective about actual production. But for these players, really, that are fourth round picks and on, I mean, making, making it in the NHL and having, you know, careers that are 10 plus years, that's extremely successful, Grumpy old man. Absolutely. Absolutely. And certainly Lukowicz definitely falls in that category. And if he, uh, he probably would have been a little bit higher on my list if he had played more than one season with the Islanders. Uh, and that leads us to our next honorable mention. And someone who I remember as a kid, 
Andre Saint Laurent. And I, I think it was just the name that I always liked him. Uh, he was a guy, when he played for the Islanders, he put up 41 points uh, one year. And he left just before the Islanders started winning cups. And uh, I, he played with the Islanders till the 77, 78 year when he was traded to Detroit. And he actually put up a 70-point year with Detroit. Now Detroit was pretty bad last year, that year. But, uh, you know, they say someone has to score points even on bad teams. And Andre Saint was one of those guys. He was a, a, a smaller player, uh, really shifty, was a good skater. Um, and go ahead, TJ. I, no, I was about to say, Grumpy, I always wonder if you're a part of a team before they do start to win Stanley Cups, if you feel jaded at all or if you feel like, hey, <laughs> you know what I mean? I've always wondered when you talk about the psychological impact on a player, if you're, you know, you've been a part of a team for four or five years and then they kind of ship you off and, you know, the next year or so they're saying, hey, we're winning Stanley Cups year in and out. You know, we've won four Stanley Cups in a row. I always wonder if the, you know, the player is a little, you know, I, a little unsatisfied that he's like, oh, I wish I wasn't moved there from the Islanders. And again, he was moved, you know, two years, I guess, or, you know, two or three years before we started to win cups. But the same token, you know what I mean? He, I'm sure the player always thinks, what if? Yeah. Uh, like I said, he was traded for Michelle Bergeron. Uh, and so I, I don't think that was a great trade by the Islanders. Um, but he was certainly gone before the Islanders. Uh, he was there when the Islanders were not able to get over the hump. And that's why I feel he was moved. They had other guys who could fill in, do what he did. Uh, but like I said, I liked him as a player. I always liked him. And I loved his name. So, and I'll always remember Andre Salara finally. Uh, finally, always. So I just want to make sure. So he, he moved up on your list because you like the way his name is pronounced? Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, he played 11 years in the NHL. So it's not like, you know, he sucked or anything. No, 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 Grump. I just, I'm just kind of smiling because I feel like, you know, we're, we're making a genuine effort. But in the same token, it's almost like whose line is anyway? You know, where the points are made up, and you know, the score doesn't matter, doesn't right. matter all that much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I, like I said, especially in honorable mentions. Uh, yeah, I mean, I always, I always like Andre Laurent. Always remember. Uh, which brings us to another honorable mention. There's only two more honorable mentions that we have, and, uh, you know. One is going to be a current player. One is an older player. I'll do the older player first because, you know, I like to do stuff with the older guys. And uh, that was Greg Gilbert. Um, he played for the Islanders, and he was drafted in 1980, okay? And he actually played his first year was 81-82, and he was uh, a Stanley Cup winner three times with the Islanders. Uh, he had a career that spanned 15 years, if you can imagine it. Okay, and he had uh, in the 83-84 season, he was a Selkie Award finalist as well as 1989 and 90 with the Chicago uh, Blackhawks. And in the uh, the 83-84 year, he actually had 66 points for the Islanders. So, uh, like I said, he played a lot of years and I always like Greg Gilbert, too. Another unsung guy who the Islanders dumped in 1989 to Chicago for a fifth round pick. Um I kind of was a little bit upset about that because, I mean, his numbers have tailed off a little bit, certainly. But I always liked Greg Gilbert as a player, and I'll always remember him fondly as being on those Stanley Cup winning teams. 
Yeah, for certain, grumpy old man. Again, uh, <laughs> it's always nice too when you when you do get drafted by a team and you win, you know, three championships in a row as soon as you're drafted. And again, the only place really you can go with your career from there is down. I mean, at least when you're talking about, you know, uh, with the ability to win, you know, at all and win the championship. You know, the only place you go is down. With you know, first three years, you win three Stanley Cups. Yep, and even like I said, he was eight years with the Islanders, five with the Blackhawks, two for St. Louis. And one for the Rangers. But, I mean, anytime that you're playing 15 years in the NHL, you know, you got some staying power. I mean, he had 378 points over his career and 150 goals. So, I mean, but he was a real good, solid defensive forward also. A really good player. Um, and I don't think he gets the credit that he deserves for, you know, he was one of those glue guys at the island that every team needs. And a lunch pail guy who was, you know, that's what the Islanders were all about. For certain, grumpy old man, it's it's for the most part what they're about still now. I mean, the Islanders still have the same exact mantra. They still play the same exact style. They're still, you know, glue guys. You know, the the uh, the sum is greater than the parts for the Islanders still now to this day. Absolutely, absolutely. Which brings us to our final uh, honorable mention candidate, someone who plays for the Islanders right now, uh, and is a little bit reminiscent of. Uh, Greg Gilbert, but without the offensive acumen, uh, Casey Zizekas. He was a fourth-round pick. And, you know, uh, I, I'd like you to speak what Casey Zizekas means to you. Uh, the one thing I will say, he was also – twice he's been in the running for the Selkie Trophy, not real high uh, in the rankings, but certainly known as a solid defensive forward and part of the greatest fourth line in hockey. Well, I will say this, Grump. I'm shocked you didn't have him higher on your list just because of the legacy and the impact he has with the Islanders. Again, I I, I, can't, I think I know how your list is going to top out. Um, in the same token, I, I, I wouldn't have been shocked if he slid in there at number three on your list. Again, when you're talking about a guy though like Casey Zizekas, he bring, he's another guy who brings much more than just point production. He's a guy that is a Swiss Army knife out there on the ice. You know, Barry Trotz uses that phrase when he talks about Josh Bailey. In the same token, right, Grumpy? I mean, Casey Zizekas does everything, really, except power play. I think he has received a little bit of power play time, but, I mean, he does. he's a great face-off winner for us. He's great in the defensive zone. He's great at penalty kills. And again, he's a very physical center, uh, or he's a physical center that is on that energy line and was one of the you know members there, the greatest fourth line of hockey, and still is. Yeah. Uh, now, you know, I'm not a fan of Josh Bailey, but I think he's a better player than Casey Sezik. Um, no, most certainly. I was just likening him, you know, when, when Barry Trotz does mention, you know, the guy is a Swiss Army knife. When I think of Swiss Army knife type players, you know, Casey Sezikis is one of those names that also does pop up there in the list. You know, maybe not with as much offensive acumen, but I think he does so many things well. I think he's extremely versatile. Right. And look who they start at the games and who they start at the beginnings of periods. It's that line with Casey Sezikis as the center. Um their tone setters, uh, Capuano, when he was the coach of the Islanders, after every goal, he'd send the fourth line out there every single time. And Can we take a second to talk about that, Grump? Sure. We don't talk about that on, on podcasts all that often. <laughs> I still cannot believe to this day that Capuano, I mean, they would always line up the fourth line anytime a goal was scored. I couldn't tell you exactly that. Well, I think I know the rationale. He wanted to bring energy. You know, if he got scored on or scored, he wants to make sure he had that energy. But, you know, thinking about 
the actual logistics behind it never, you know, it doesn't really make sense to me, Grumpy, why you would always line up your fourth line out there, no matter who the other team put out there on the ice after you conceded a goal. Yeah, well, that's what, well, maybe that's why Jack Capuano is not coaching anymore. But I mean, I can see the, the rationale. Well, he's, he's, he's an assistant coach there for the Florida Panthers, I think, Sale, or he's an assistant coach somewhere. I thought last time he was with the Panthers, maybe he's no longer there, but I think he was with the Panthers last I checked. Yeah, he is. Um, but, you know, I could see why you do it because they're not going to screw up out there. They're solid. They're solid. Uh, they're just a solid line, and he's a real solid player. And I guess you just want to make sure that everything is settled down after a goal, one way or the other. Um, you know, whatever it is, what it is. But I mean, every every to start every period, that's who you're going to see out there for the most part uh, for trots. Either that or the Nelson line. Uh, well, I was players. about to say right. I, I just. And that's what I'm saying. I, I don't mind if you lean towards rolling Casey's Ezekis's line out there at the beginning of periods because you do want to have that uh, you want to have that impact with energy. I get that. I understand it. But I have always I was always confused with like the dogmatic approach of yes, no matter what line they put out there, we're putting our fourth line out there, Grumpy. That was always what kind of threw me for a loop. I don't mind you know the mindset of hey i want to try to have this line out there but if you know it's a bad matchup you know using your brain and saying maybe it's better to start the nelson line out there first right and it was so prevalent during the capuano era that you know even the announcers talked about it you know it was, it was like a big thing oh yeah well I you know that line going out there i feel like they always they always said it in a chuckling way and that's what i always wondered you know how much behind the doors were they laughing at that idea and that type of strategy that's always one thing i wondered grump Yep. Uh, well, it is what it is, and that's why Casey Zekas gets my final uh, honorable mention for the fourth round. Now, I'm the next player I have here in the fourth round, number three, I was kind of hedging back and forth um, and knowing that he's going to be so much better with his new team as opposed to he was with the Islanders, and that's Devon Taves. And I think this is going to go down. And I think he might actually move up on this list the further he goes on with his career because he's still very young. And I think he's going to put up huge numbers uh, with Colorado. I think he was only scratching the surface of his talent here with the Islanders. And in a salary dump, we lost him to Colorado, which I think is going to be one of the worst trades in Islander history. Wow, I, I won't say it's one of the worst trades in Andres history, Grump. Because remember, we gave away, you know, Zidane Chara as well as Roberto Luongo, which are two Hall of Fame caliber players. I'm not sure, you know, Devontae is going to be there. I mean, also Ole Okunen, who was a perennial All Star player. I think Devontae, you're right though, is just scratching the surface, and I think he's more suited for the style that Colorado plays. I would have had him a little higher personally, grumpy old man, because you know what my expectations and projections of his play will be with Colorado. But you're right. When you're talking about a steal in the fourth round, Devon Taves is going to be one of those defensemen that are going to be a top four guy for whatever team he's on for years to come. And that's where he's going to slide in with Colorado. He's going to be their second pairing guy. He's going to be what McCarr is to the first pairing. He's going to be that for the second pairing. And he is what the NHL defense, what the NHL wants in their defensemen at this point in time, puck movers. And the fact that he's played for the Islanders and knows how to actually play defense as a puck moving defenseman is only going to help uh, Colorado moving forward. 
Uh, yeah, well, I think it. I mean, when you talk about players who are draft gems and steals, right? A defenseman number one has to be able to play defense. But if you've got a guy who's now going to be in a system that's more suited for him, where he could be more liberated on the offensive side of the puck, I think that just helps his production. I think that helps his overall standing. You know, when you talk about legacy, grumpy old man, because I because I've got your list here, and I, you know, I would have probably placed him at number two ahead of who you had there. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, and like I said, I was going back and forth, and it's only because he's only played a year and a half in the NHL. Really, that's the only reason that he was number three over number two. Uh, and he, like that, he's going to quarterback Colorado's second power play unit for certain. I mean, I, I just think that was a steal for Colorado, and I think we're going to rue the day that we let him go. Um, and that brings me to number two on our list, and he's an Islander from uh, – Right after we started winning cups, he was right after that. And so he was part of the downturn. But a player that I always thought uh, could have been better than he was but was really successful was Miko Makala. Um, he played for the Islanders, and he had seasons where he put up, you know, over 50 points. One year he put up 76, and he was ninth in the Lady Bing. I mean, he wanted playing seven years in the league, and I know he went back to Finland at one point in time. But uh, – he was traded. I remember the Islanders traded him to LA for Ken Bob Gartner, who was a, a really physical defenseman, and Huey McDonough, who I I thought that was a trade. I didn't like that trade, honestly. Um, and he did, like I said, one last year. He came back and played for Boston, and he only lasted a few games there. But he was a guy I, I look at as a what if. And if he had played more games, uh, in the end, if Taves had played more games in the NHL, he would have been second over him. But like I said, he scored 36 goals for the Islanders one year and 24 in another. And he was a good offensive player, uh, but he was part of the Islanders when we were starting to slip down the mountain from our greatness. Hmm. Yeah, and again, like when I'm thinking Miko Makala, I you know, I didn't watch too many of those games back then. Grump, I was real I was an infant around that time period that he played. Again, you know, when you look at the numbers and the stats, he did put up some good points. I mean, he almost had a season where he put up a point a game for certain. I mean, that is impressive, no doubt about it. You're talking about a fourth round pick. Obviously, you know, him going back to Finland kind of hurts a little bit of that legacy and the impact he left on the NHL. Uh yeah, Grump, I and I do think I think Taves deserved to be number two. It's all I'm going to say in that regard, though, Grump. But I'll leave it over to you here for number one. And, again, it, it's not really a shock if you know he, where this player was drafted. He's number one on the list there for, you know, the, the best draft gem in the fourth round for the Islanders history. Yeah, if you know Islander history, all the best fourth round pick for the Islanders all time is Kenny Morrow, who I believe he still works for the Islanders in the front office. Uh, he's one of the only players to win a uh, – Olympic gold medal and a Stanley Cup in the same year. That was 1980. Uh, and I remember he was a, a rock defensively. He scored one of the biggest goals in Islander history when they knocked out the Rangers. Gosh, I cannot remember the year right now. Um, but he scored in uh, overtime on a, a shot that really probably should have been saved. Um, but that was another – that was a game that sent the Islanders uh, to another Stanley Cup final and another, another Cup win. Uh, Kenny Morrow, like I said, was a rock-solid defensive defenseman. And anytime you're winning four Stanley Cups, you know you have to be good. Uh, he was twice in Norris Trophy consideration, um, Lady Bing as well. And think about that for a defenseman, right? And then uh, twice he was All-Star consideration. And uh, I remember he played at Bowling Green. Uh, 
Uh, and he was, a, like I said, he was drafted by the Islanders in 1976 and started playing for them right at the tail end of the season in 1980 and right through that Stanley Cup winning year. Well, I'll tell you this much, right? When you talk about that that team, you know, the Olympic team uh, that did beat the Russians, I think he probably has been the most successful or one of the most successful players that actually played on that that U.S. Olympic team. Yeah, we had they had some other good play, really good players on that team. Um, but as from a defensive aspect, I think he was had the most successful NHL career as a defenseman. Uh, just thinking about it, but they had some guys who went out to su- success who played in the forward lines also. You know, I, a lot of people say Jim Craig was, you know, oh, everybody remembers Jim Craig looking for his dad in the stands after winning, uh, you know, the, the game against Russia and the, uh, the finals against Finland. Uh, but he didn't have that great a career. I remember he was signed by the Calgary Flames, or the Atlanta Flames at the time. Uh, and he had a didn't have a great career. I think he played a few other careers. But, you know, it's funny to play. You think Michael Ruzioni, right? I mean, he never played in the NHL. And, Oh, Mike! Mike made his career now on public speaking and talking. You know, he's definitely got an inspirational. Yeah, he's definitely he's made he's made himself. You know, he's made himself his career off of that for certain. I mean, terrific. You know, that was a that's an iconic moment in United States history. Absolutely, and you know, it's funny. Uh, I Ruzzi always likes to tell the story how his friends tease him all the time. Says, you know, it's six inches to the left or six into the inches to the right, and you'd be painting bridges for a living. And, you know, that's just the way it is in sports. And that's the way, you know, like I said, for him, certainly good for him. I'm glad that he was able to parlay that game-winning goal into some success in his in his life. But, you know, Kenny Morrow, solid citizen, rock-solid defenseman, and member of the front office. I mean, you can't ask for more from a fourth-round pick, honestly. No, and again, like again, when you're looking at Ken Morrow, grumpy old man, you're right. He was a rock back there on the defensive side of the pocket. He wasn't a guy who's like, "Hey, I need to put up X amount of points." He, you know, game was different. Also, you didn't have defense and putting up gaudy numbers like they do now. Again, you always had a guy like Bobby Orr back there, and you did have a few select players who could put up points on the defensive side of the puck. It's not required like it is almost in today's game. I mean, defenseman, you have to be, you almost have to have some sort of offensive acumen if you want to find your way in the NHL. All right, in today's I'm- game and age. I'm going to tell you what I am extremely disappointed in you that you let off that you you mentioned Bobby Orr, but then you didn't mention Dennis Potvin. I always grumpy when I use that example. I always mention you know when you're thinking obviously I should mention Dennis Potvin, but if I'm thinking you're thinking about you know the uh, best defenseman or the best point getting defenseman, I always think Bobby Orr grumpy. Yeah, okay, but you know Dennis Potvin had over 100 points one year and he scored over 90 twice, so you know he was putting up. A hell of a lot of points. That's all I have to say. Grumpy, did you just say he put he was putting up a hell of a lot of points? Hell, I said I didn't even say a hell. I said hell of a lot of points. That's what I said. Has has pages has the stump the grump? Has Paige been teaching you some new slang and lingo? Because I never ever ever in a million years would have expected you to say he puts up hell of a lot of points. I told you I am so up on the the modern lingo. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Grump, I think that's a good place to stop and kind of end the podcast. Is there anything else you want to say before we wrap things up? I know this Thursday podcast have been a little shorter than the uh, the live stream podcast that we do release on Mondays. Um, again, live stream there on Saturday at 5. 
uh, most days. But again, this next podcast or this next live stream is going to be on Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But Grump, is there anything else you want to say before we kind of wrap things up? No, but like I said, as we go forward uh, uh, with these uh, draft picks, I think I'm going to kind of break them up a little bit where because we're just going to do maybe one round at a time for the next couple of rounds. And I'm going to break them up. I'm going to do dynasty era and then post dynasty era, because if you're just looking at, you know, best draft picks from the third, second and first rounds, uh, it would just be all dynasty players. So I'm going to break it up. I'm going to do groups of three, you know, uh, top three for the, the dynasty era and post dynasty era. Yeah, Grump. Well, definitely, as we're kind of figuring out what that's going to be, we'll definitely make sure we do mention it on the actual podcast. But thank you for being a part of the podcast, Grumpy, as always. My pleasure. And thank you so much, guys, for listening. Again, we do enjoy any time that you guys do listen. I, you know, In the future, as the actual season starts, hopefully we will get to the point where we are running two live streams a week. And the Thursday podcast release is also a live stream in some capacity because with those live streams, we love getting the comments and getting to react there and speak with the fans and listeners of the podcast live and in real time. Grumpy old man, and I love that. And we're very thankful for everybody who does. Thank you. <laughs>